and welcome to the Glacial Musical Podcast. Good afternoon or evening, whatever time of day it is right now. I'm confused. Uh, I am doing an intro to an episode for the first time. The episode you are about to hear with Alec of Ghostbound was originally intended to be a vinyloscopy on tape, but due to the fact that the conversation was really good and it went a little longer than the normal anticipated time frame of the vinyloscopies, I decided I was going to, instead of showing that as a video, and there were some lag issues and some picture issues as well, I decided to just go ahead and move this into a podcast rather than putting it through as a video, because I think it will be better received and more enjoyable as a podcast rather than a video. And also on top of that, at the end of this, I am going to play uh, Age of Eight at the end of this show as well. So thank you, everybody, and enjoy. And welcome to Glacier Musicals Vinyloscopy live on tape. And today we have Alec from Ghostbound. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. How are you? I am good. Thank you for joining us in this absolutely ridiculous idea. I see you've got a cat. We have several cats that are running around and hopefully they don't jump onto me, but they probably will because they do that. Uh, so tell me what hey, this is Giolini. He says hello. <laughs> hello. I love tuxedo cats. I've had a few in my life as well. Uh, so tell me about what you have going on. What uh, Tell me about the, the latest Ghostbound album. Yeah, so we are, in, we are in the process of releasing, within the next week or two, our new EP, which is entitled Extended Play for My Sweet Merry Time. And it's been uh, a long time in the works. And uh, yeah, no, we're excited to finally have it out. It's a, we're, we're, we're all very proud of it. And uh, we, think we, we think it's something special. And we think hopefully other people will find, will have as you know, we'll like it as much as we do. <laughs> but um, yeah, we were able to somehow get it done in spite of a pandemic. So yeah. I, I have no idea because it's thankfully as somebody who consumes a lot of music, thankfully that there has been a lot that's been coming out over the past year because I don't know what I would have done without the and I refuse to look at the number of albums that I've purchased in the past year. So thank you very much for, for continuing to persevere and continuing to do it. But for today, well, where can, where can your album be pre-ordered? Well, uh, currently we have a pre-sale going on on our Bandcamp page, which is ghostbound.bandcamp.com. It can also be pre-ordered directly through our, uh, the record label that we're releasing it through, uh, which is a label known as Red Nebula. Uh, I think they're based out of Minneapolis. Um, but yeah, yeah, we're doing selling it only digitally and on vinyl presently. That's awesome. Sort of I, by design. Th that, um, there's been a lot more of that than I would have expected in this modern day. And that's something yeah, that I, I enjoy. We'll, we'll see if there's a demand for CDs, possibly putting it out. But you know, it's been a bucket list dream of mine to have my own music put out on vinyl. 
I I cannot yeah, imagine what it would be like to actually hold uh, music that I had created on a record because that's. I will let you know how it is. I still haven't. I still don't know what it's like. But I would appreciate <laughs> probably that. within the next. I think right. in the next. Um, I believe they're shipping out around May. I believe is That's when awesome. those are coming out. The the EP itself is being released on uh, the twenty sixth. I apologize for um, me looking around we have a lot, but I have cats everywhere, so I'm kind of like keeping an eye on all three of them. Uh, every every room in this Brooklyn apartment has an animal at some point. So we live but, uh, in a Victorian home in South St. Louis City and the cats just wander wherever we are. Sorry, sorry. But um, one of the things that I love about records is they have never stopped being the ubiquitous symbol for music. The terminology we created around them has never yeah. gone away. And as for CDs? Well, yeah, it's always an album or a record. Right? Correct. And albums actually predate 12-inch. The term album was because when they were originally purchased, you you would buy either seven ten inch or seven forty fives, and it was it came in like a picture album, and then you would just flip through it, which I thought was a neat thing. It, uh, Twelve inch thirty three and forty fives actually at one point in time were competing formats, which is why they have different why they have different holes for. Oh, stuff. interesting. I only learned that about oh. six months ago because. <laughs> During the pandemic, when I couldn't go anywhere, I decided I was going to learn more about uh, making my records sound better rather than just having them as a, as a method, as a means. It was getting the most out of the technology. And, and I've said this before, and I'll say it probably way too many times in my life. There was a, there's a YouTube video or a YouTube channel in Canada. I forget the guy's name. Vinyl TV, I think it is. He made the great point that records in 2021 sound better than they did in 1975 because now we know how to make them sound better. We know how to use the technology. Right. But let's talk about some special albums. I, I allowed I, you to pick pretentious the five. I'm sorry, we had a little bit of a hiccup. Right. I picked a few. Yeah, it looks like, looks like there's a slight delay going on. Um, well, the manner of speaking, it's like to... As pretentious as it might sound, it see, it always seems to me in some form that vinyl is the right way to listen to music. And, I would agree. And which is, I mean, in theory, there isn't really a right or a wrong way. And in fact, I, I will freely and lovingly decry the need for MP3s and WAV files and lossless and FLAC and all of those things. Because, you know, it gets me through whenever I have to commute anywhere, which isn't happening much lately, admittedly, or in my work day when I, you know, I'm working my day job and I have to, you know, I have 20 million Bandcamp tabs open at a given time um, because I obsessively consume music in addition to playing it. <laughs> so I'm always looking for new things to listen to, but um, it takes a lot for me. I, I'm not obsessive in my collection of vinyl in the respect that like, I won't just buy anything on vinyl. I have a couple criteria that I go by. Namely, it has to has to be the kind of music that I would deem would sound best on vinyl. So there is a lot of stuff that I have in my collection that is pre-CD that I feel, you know, this, 
And also from that period, one of the records that I chose in particular, the CD master of it just sounds, sounds awful. <laughs> so one of the things I have learned recently, because when I was when I was 15 or 16 is when I got my first CD player, when it was still a pretty new thing. And the whole idea around the CD was it was the almighty CD it would last your whole life and longer you would donate it to you'd be giving it to your grandchildren. This was the superior modern medium of music and nothing will ever surpass it only to find out that they didn't know how to use it. Right. So and I bought so many albums of classic bands and they sounded like crap. Right. Cause the, I mean, I mean, I guess the, at that point, the mastering process was such that they didn't know what they had. Um, and you know, I, I purchased a lot of, I mean, I purchased a prodigious amount of CDs. Like I had over a thousand at one time, which I had then eventually what I digitized when I moved to New York about 15 years ago, because I wasn't going to take 1000 CDs with me. (laughs) Um, so I digitized all of that and eventually I ended up selling most of everything on Discogs. But I always held on to my vinyl. Um, I went through a period where I didn't collect any vinyl because I didn't have a turntable out here in New York. Um, I eventually decided I would change that a few years back. So I got back into collecting vinyl. I went through another hiatus when we, my wife and I moved to a new apartment and I misplaced a cable <laughs> and, and I couldn't connect. My, and I couldn't connect my powered speakers for a good two years. <laughs> like, I, like I just didn't, I never got around to it. I know the feeling. And then over the last year, um, over the last year, I just decided, you know what, uh, you know, because quarantine being a time of personal invention and learning and DIY and being, a, in theory, everyone should have taken that time to teach themselves how to do new things. And and, you know, apart from, you know, learning how to bake sourdough bread and brushing up on my cooking and uh, teaching proper home recording techniques so that I could have a workstation at home for writing music, all of those things, I wanted to finally get my record collection back up and running. So got another set of powered speakers. I don't fuck with power amps or receivers or anything of that sort. I just don't have a mind for that. I just got a decent set of powered speakers that I have, you know, in our living room on top of a shelf, which also houses the turntable and all of my records. And uh, See, I do it, that'd I be do it very, the other way. It, I have a 1975 turntable, a 1971 receiver, and 1968 speakers. I bet it with, sounds amazing. I did also upgrade the cartridge and stylus to an Ortofon, so which, in my humble opinion, completely unleashed the power of everything I have. Interesting. Yeah, I would like to hear some kind of some kind of like A B between my setup and yours because I I care just enough to listen to the music <laughs> and I don't care so much to procure like a nice power. I'm a, my I mean my own obsession goes with collecting records themselves, guitars, mm-hmm. finding new finding new bands and new things to watch and things like that. That's where I, that's where my OCD really lies is my OCD, <laughs> my OCD is ensuring that I get the absolute best out of everything I own. So if I can improve it, I want to. And I, that's why I started watching 
all kinds of vinyl channel YouTube during the summer this year to learn how to unleash everything, how to make it better. So I I didn't even know up until that point you could change the cartridge and stylus. I didn't know. Yeah, you, I had no idea. I didn't know you were supposed I to. I, knew that, I think I knew you could do the stylus because uh, my old record guru from my hometown um, owned a yeah, I, I grew up in this on the central coast of California mm -hmm. and there was a there was a, a store in Monterey it's still there uh, called Vinyl Revolution and when I was 16 a day after I turned 16 I took all my birthday money and my dad drove me over to this place I got a used turntable uh, turntable from him and I purchased uh, I think maybe two or three records at the time I'm trying to remember what they were. I think it was a Christian Death, Only Theater of Pain. Uh, it was a, uh, like a Morgoth. A Morgoth demo that was recommended to me by Bob, the hat guy who ran and runs, still runs the store. And um, I think there was this not at all good Fields of the Nephilim new single that they released at that time in some modified lineup of the band. And that was kind of my intro. And then, you know, my, my parents still had their collection as well. So I would kind of- For me, it was, I tried to get into it a couple of times and I didn't know how to make it sound good. So I kept getting in and getting out. And it wasn't until 2014, 2014, I bought my first album on accident, the first new one. I'm not going to count the couple of Doors LPs I bought back in the, the 90s that I didn't care about. But I, I went up to buy an album. I was reviewing a show and I was trying, Crobot was the opening act. I wanted to buy their EP they were touring on at that time. And the guy's like, 10 bucks? I'm like, I'm sorry, I only got five. He's like, okay, fine, five. And then he handed me this giant CD. <laughs> and I'm like, that's a really big CD. I don't know what to do with that. Does it have a download code? <laughs> and that was that was how I started. And then eventually it's like, okay, might as well, might as well jump into this. I got because a friend of mine gave me a turntable, which I didn't have one, and that's how it started. Mm -hmm. And now I was like I about the best much. $75 I ever spent <laughs> <laughs> at that point. And but then, um and, and then eventually, you know. As I had long since abandoned, you know, any kind of collectivist's tendency, just do it for the sake of New York living, because you live in, you know, you live in little oh yeah hovels that are so small that you can't really house too much stuff. But there came a point where I was lucky enough to have lived in a slightly bigger place, so I figured, you know what, you know, on top of on top of the spinet over there, I can, that's a perfect place for a turntable, and I have a little credenza here. It's a perfect place for records. I'm going to start doing this again. And, my uh, one of my favorite things about San yeah, Lewis it's is amazing we have room. How... Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm sitting. Uh, I'm sitting in my second. We have two living rooms in our house. We have a three-story Victorian that we. The first floor is an apartment that we're renovating, and then we live on the second and third. And on the third floor, we have a second living room. So we have a television living yeah. room and a music living room. I can't even fathom that existence. That's flyover country. Yeah, plenty of room. Oh, I've uh, yeah, my uh, I have some family in Peoria, and uh, 
in other in other areas that are somewhat close to there. And uh, I've got yeah. a Peoria Riverman um, hockey jersey in my closet. Yeah, I wish I knew what that meant. <laughs> That's their local hockey team. It has been for as their local hockey. About thirty-five years. It's, it's been in it's several different incarnations, but they've kept the name for almost forty years. Over almost forty years now. I'm yeah. a big hockey fan yeah. as well. But let's right. talk about actual records. This week, I asked you to pick the kinds of records we were listening to, so I will let you lead it. Yes, I did. So, uh, what should we start with? What's the first? The first one is. Hang on. Uh, I've got them in the wrong order. First one was a record about an ocean. I had to I cheat a little bit. I've got picture one across the depths of seven lakes. It is. It came out last year. It is a new wave record written by a guy who loves carcass. Ooh. Cool. Hey, I like that. Coke bottle. Hey, that's terrific. Mm -hmm. It's great. It's it's a really heavy new wave record. Love this album. I'm sorry. What's the, what's the name of the project? The the name the artist is Picture One. The album is Across the Picture Depths One. of Seven Lakes. His goal with this album was a cinematic movement kind of music. Right. It's new wave in 2020. So. That and that's right. pretty much what I do with that's that's essentially what I do with Ghostbound. So <laughs> that's <laughs> kind of everything everything I try to accomplish musically. Um, the one I chose for that, it's a very important record in my life, one of my favorite records of all time, is uh The Water Boys. This is the sea. I'm not familiar sort with of um, well, you probably have heard at least one or two of their songs because um, there was a period of time where their song Fisherman's Blues was in literally every 90s Oxbridge-y feel-good British movie. Ah, okay. Like, Fisherman went up the hill and came down Love Actually sort of deal. Um, but also this has a huge hit on it. This has the whole of the moon on it, which is one of their no more their better known songs. Is that a promo? Um, but no. No, I don't. I sure? uh, I think it. Well, here we go. Lent bought it very cheaply, um, having owned it on CD for many, many years. Um, yeah, this is literally one of my all-time favorite records. By uh, basically, I guess you could say you would call them big music, eighties big music, mm -hmm. sort of where post-punk and arena rock sort of combined and then. Heavy amount of you know various UK oriented folk. Um, that, but Mike so that Scott, is, that is a promo though. That's that's a, a radio copy. I can, this, that with the stamp set. I've got probably about twenty. I mean, I haven't sought them out. I just kind of grabbed them here and there. There is a belief, and I cannot verify it, but there is a belief that promo copies are the best sounding of the first press because they are the first pressings of the first press. Yeah. And this is one of the few 80s records that was mastered on CD that actually did have a great sound to it. There was some, it had this, um, well, it's kind of problematic to bring it up, but you know, it had this sort of Phil Spectory wall of sound thing going on where 
you know, everything, it, it had this expansive atmosphere where everything sounded like it was just kind of flowing out constantly. It took a long time and for them to Mike learn. Mike Scott, who's the main songwriter. Sorry, it, it took them a long time to learn how um, to get 80s albums on a CD and make them sound good. It seems like you're cutting out here. Yeah, we had a little bit of lag there. It took a, it, what I was trying to say was it took a long yeah. time for them to get to learn how to master 80s albums on the CD. Yeah, that, um, anyway, I think this is absolutely essential listening and it's especially uh, as it relates to our new EP. Our new EP is very much, uh, not really a concept album, but it is very much tied thematically in a very maritime oceanic way. Like, and, uh, um, like Black Sea. You can't really get more oceanic. In a manner of speaking, yeah. Um, kind of like, a, I don't know if you ever heard of uh, Devin Townsend's Ocean Machine Project. I've heard nothing by Devin Townsend. Favorite record of Literally mine. nothing. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know that, how that's I one to, That's one to hear. I that's don't... one to hear. Between that and and Strapping Young Lad early stuff, mm -hmm. uh, that's all really, really good. Uh, he hasn't really, like, I haven't really been in, inspired by him in a long time, but as far as his, you know, command of mixing and his his ability to kind of create a world within sound, and that's all I ever want to do is kind of evoke atmosphere and take someone somewhere that is kind of beyond their current climate. And um, having read about this Waterboys record a lot is like, you know, he had this. Mike Scott has this belief in music as this elemental force. And he kind of talks about the songwriting of this record in this sort of reverential, like, it wound up on from the bedrock of 40 songs that he had to choose to make this record. It's kind of, this is how it was meant to be. And um, as sort of like highfalutin and quasi meaningless as that kind of verbiage is in relation to this, it resonates with me. So, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this no, is I totally get it. I totally one of get my all-time favorite albums, which I've said repeatedly, but that's um, I I love albums that, that is have, one of them that have a thematic atmosphere, and I also love pretentious concept records. So, well, I'm also I'm of the belief that an album should be a self-contained experience. Completely, that it should agree. have a beginning, middle, and an end. Completely agree. Um, that every from the list of the artwork to font you chose you choose is all about building a world and it's world building in the same way that tolkien would build a world i would agree with you know, that. everyone has every every it has it has to have its own color it has to you know for me it's not enough for a band to just rock out it has to take me somewhere i um, agree and there's which is why a lot. I, you know i have some heretical opinions about there's a lot of bands that don't understand <laughs> that and um, have, they create a collection of singles rather than an album. Mm -hmm. And I feel even more so that like, um, the that I feel like the full album experience is something that is slowly going away. And I'm kind of stubbornly holding on to this idea that 
we should still be making long form long form composition essentially completely and agree what this new ep is all about this new ep um this new ep that we wrote it was left over largely like i don't know if you've taken the time to hear the first record at all a little to, bit um, that we put out back in 2018 I, I know I've heard um, some of it. I, I'm sorry. It's I, I wish I could remember no everything. <laughs> and it's no worries. But a lot of the songs from the CP, most of them, in fact, were initially like left off of the first record. And I normally don't like to. I normally like to move on. I don't right. really like to sit with things, because most of what a lot of people don't know is that most of the songs on the first record took around. 12 to 15 years from when I first started writing to when I eventually released the record. So I had been sitting with them for a very long time. And by the time the record came out, um, I was already ready to move on to the next thing. And as I sat with it a bit more, I realized that I had these other songs kicking around that were from the same time period, more or less, that we're all kind of samey and a bit more simple, I suppose, in structure than the songs on the first record. But as I was, as I was thinking about them, I said, you know what? They're, these are all kind of, they're all in six, eight. They're all kind of gently rollicking. Mm -hmm. Very, it's kind of a six, eight is it, to me is a very wave-like time signature. Like all of my favorite songs that are in that time signature, I'm always kind of reminded of waves crashing against the shore. And I was like, why don't I take these five songs that I have left over, finally close the chapter on this kind of period of my life and move on to new, new things. And we'll tie this together in, in this sort of loose concept about the sea. And um, over, over time, it like, it, it ended up, that for whatever reason, the song stayed with me. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm quite proud of the outcome. I think it's some of our best work. <laughs> like it like it kind of snuck up snuck back up on me um, to me that's exactly why i mean you explained the process i always hope somebody has is that these songs are from this period these are the snapshots of that moment they these pictures were too bright for me to walk away from they meant something and i turned them into something even better in a manner of speaking well better is in the eye of the the ears of the beholder as it were but <laughs> but oh, yes uh, that's but i figured figuratively <laughs> but, uh, but, um like i'm kind of viewing it as an expansion pack to the first record so to speak so it's kind there, of an additional five an, an additional five of, chapters a lot of great bands that have done that kind of thing and mm -hmm. and it, with the idea being i can finally close the book i can finally it's the epilogue and move on, like keep Ghostbound alive. Yeah, keep Ghostbound alive, obviously. But then, a part of me really wants to flip the script and do something completely different, um, utilizing the same kind of moniker and overall atmosphere and quality that we that we have. Um, but records like the Water Boys, and in point of fact, uh, I have a friend who's a, a manager of a few different bands, uh, more erstwhile well-known bands, and I. Tried to, I was like, can you get, somehow get this in the hands of Mike Scott? Because literally the whole first record is just, this is the sea with heavy guitars. That's really all it is. <laughs> it's just, it's like, I want to do, 
<laughs> I was like, I was like, I basically rip off that record whenever I pick off pick up a guitar. I wouldn't say um, I wouldn't say it's my like all time favorite record, but it's one of them. <laughs> Speaking of chapters, let's move on. What do we have next? Chapter two. This was you suggested a singer songwriter acoustic record. I'm gonna admit I cheated a oh, right. I cheated a little bit on this one. I actually grabbed one of my wife's records, but it was one that I purchased for her. Uh, this is Exine Cervanka, Running right. Sacred. Um, oh! I really like Mrs. Exine, Morton. And I was listening to X Alphabet Land actually this evening. And I've seen her in concert, saw her in 2011 with the original Sinners, a band she was in that wasn't X and wasn't Exine Cervanka solo. So I don't exactly, it was a kind of a rockabilly band, but what was special about that night was that was the night I discovered James Legg and the Black Diamond Heavies, which was the, the gateway mm -hmm. to me re-entering the world of new music that I had abandoned for about 15 to okay. 20 years. So it was a very, mm -hmm. that was made, it, it, that makes her a very special artist in a very special moment for me. Was, was she in her weird conspiracy theory phase at that point in her... I don't know, and I choose not to look into that at all. Good. <laughs> you should, that's probably be the best thing for you. <laughs> um, knowing how talented she is, obviously, and I love X, um, it's just like, yeah, it's, it's a, it's, I basically had to say, I've had to bury a lot of my heroes over the last year. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, we, we yeah. <laughs> And, uh, it's been rough, um, especially in circles that I move in, where you know, I, you know, everything, anything that has a vague, like you know, I, to go that is meant to be. Lately, I've been obsessed with collecting limited edition kind of raw black metal demos from mostly oh. from from newer bands that are coming out. Uh, and I know where this the is thing going. that is a genuine concern. You have to vet these bands. You have oh, to you, put, you have to put them. You have to like do background checks on all these bands. So there will always come a point where I'll always reach out to somebody, someone who knows better than I do. I was like, hey, is this band is this is this band a group of fascists? Because I don't want to willfully give them money. <laughs> and, I uh, there. It, thankfully, it hasn't happened that many times for me. But I have gotten some emails from friends after doing reviews, and they're saying, hey. The bass player in this band was in an NS, NSBM band. Did you know? And I'm like, oh god, let me just pull that down. Like maybe, maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe he well, just we, wanted to be in a band, and he doesn't really believe that. Uh, probably not. Not I'm, well. Well, I mean, I'm sure you can remember the perception used to be different, right? How it was there was a period of time in which it was okay to separate the art from the artist. That was a thing. That was a genuine. I guess an unwritten thought in the air. Right, but it's However, more than that. It's, that it's, changed about four and a half years ago. Yeah, <laughs> but in, in the 80s and 90s, the idea of, of Nazi idolatry wasn't as offensive as it should have been. And well, it was a different perception, right? Exactly. Different, like different sense of what was okay and the degree thereof. Right, and, Paul Stanley uh, I started in the 80s wore the stars and bars of the Confederacy. 
So it's it's. I mean, you look at that kind I mean, of stuff, and then Bowie and his Berlin period. Yeah, and it's there's uh, all of the various neo folk bands from Death in June to Current '93, and to you know all of that's you know a lot of these bands that I. Let's go ahead and leave this rabbit hole alone. <laughs> I would agree. But, uh, um, I would agree, but. Uh, here, what I chose, I chose this kind of unsung band by a very unsung artist, Kevin Coyne, Marjorie Razorblade. Kevin Coyne is sort of like, I describe him as uh, Van Morrison after a nervous breakdown. <laughs> he, um, in the 60s, he sang for a band called Siren, which was more of sort of a the early proggy sort of band, but then he hit it solo and started kind of playing these kind of open open chord blues inflected songs mm-hmm. that were just kind of very much a blueprint for what would eventually become post-punk actually be like pre sex pistols you could definitely hear where public image limited got a lot of their attitude from um he had he spent some time as i recall he spent some time as a social worker at a mental institution oh, um, nice. which informed a lot of his early song and um as he started to get a little bit of success on his second record which was marjorie Razorblade, um there's this kind of raucous early punk energy to it came out in 1972 73 there's this kind of early punk energy to it it's really confrontational um in a way that not too many records were at that point especially that were records that were largely based around you know acoustic strumming and uh andy summers played in his band at one time (laughs) he he ended up uh but he he also had this sort of like razor wire racked singing voice that just kind of sounded like it saw the end of many bottles of booze mm-hmm. and just this amazing command of the emotion behind a song as well. Um, but there's some, there's some humor and some sweetness to it as well. Um, absolutely an incredible record. And in fact, a lot of his discography from that period is great. I could have chosen any one of those records, but that one specifically is amazing. Are you familiar with he, Phil Oaks? I'm sorry, I'm sorry uh, say that again? Are you familiar with Phil Oaks? Just by name. Not, Check uh, him out. That's, if I had known this is the kind of thing we were going with, I might have actually grabbed this record. Phil Oaks, All the News That's Fit to Sing. He was a folk singer from the late 60s, original friend of Bob Dylan. Uh, He grew to feud with Bob Dylan because he felt that Dylan had sold out. Uh, Eventually died by suicide, unfortunately. But you want to talk about punk energy and in-your-face rawness, check out that album, All the News That's Fit to Sing. I will. No, that sounds that sounds like it's right up my alley. I'm a I'm a big fan of like 
uh, a lot of the records that bands come out with that are that end up kind of being self-sabotage like uh, Grace and Danger by John Martin is a record that I love everything Phil Oaks um, did was self-sabotage yeah um, I love that album I love Third by Big Star I love Sister Lovers Third by Big Star because it just sounds like a band that just hates everything having to do with the music industry so they're uh, my all-time favorite record is Faith No More, Angel Dust, which is essentially one of the most bewildering albums to ever come out on a major label. I'll give you that. Um, I, I have that one. Not a big yeah. fan, but I will definitely say it is bewildering. It, I don't get it. And maybe that's why. I, I like, uh, I mean, I like bits of it, but for me, Faith No More is all about Jim Martin, and Jim Martin is barely on that album, so it makes it difficult for me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I liked that they they did a you know, all, all the success that they, at Goodwill, they built up in the year previously, they, you know, we're going to do whatever we want. Completely. And that's exactly <laughs> what they did. Uh, yeah. Speaking um, of... They continue that. Forward, let's move on to, you suggested, uh, modern metal craziness. Here we go. This is Gravehuffer, Necroeclosure. Gravehuffer? Yep. Yeah, no. I don't know that record, but I know of them. This record is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in a great way. It also has an amazing splatter to it, one of the best splatters. It goes with the record Love really, it. really well. It, it It's modern death metal with every twist they could think about throwing in. It is also one of the best press records I have heard in a long time. This actually has a better sound quality than the last Pink Floyd live album to come out. In terms of I'm, a, I'm going to try out them by virtue of their name because I just assumed they would be a stoner metal band. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which, which is not my thing at all. Um, but um, I'll definitely check that out because I do love me some weird death metal. If I could, it is not stoner metal even a little. A friend of mine not actually just got the. <laughs> um, friend of mine I saw that just procured a uh, those Pandemonium records. Uh, the early that early Dan Swano band, that's just kind of avant death metal. It's just crazy stuff, and I remember being fifteen and hearing that for the first time and just being like. Just thinking that was the coolest shit ever. I was actually um, chatting with Richie the first I time I listened to it, and just he, he he told me during the podcast we did together when we were chatting, he's like, "Oh my god, does he hate it?" <laughs> I don't. It's amazing. It's a great record. Um, so I kind of stretched the, the rules in terms of what constitutes "quote unquote" modern metal because most of it is like. You know, you can say anything from the last 15 years in theory. I would agree with that. Um, and I chose uh, a very important record that doesn't get a lot of love, and it's The Angelic Purpose, Weighing Souls with Sand. And if we're going to talk about, it has this beautiful, beautiful gatefold that just is incredible. This band has a rather tragic history as well. It was a duo, husband and wife duo. And from what I gather, the main man of the band who kind of 
did the lion's share of the music and everything. He ended up injuring his hand and couldn't play guitar anymore oh. and fell into a depression and ended up committing suicide quite tragically. Um, but he left behind this kind of, there are a couple EPs, but this one full length record. I've never heard an album that sounds quite like this. It's very much, the sound quality is such that it's like compressed to the point where everything is almost inaudible. Um, the guitar sound is murky and low and completely almost where that kind of where shoegaze and godflesh sort of meet. And interesting avenue. And I, there's no album like it. Like the sound quality is crazy. And by most sta by most standards, you would say it sounds bad. Not to me. <laughs> I think it. <laughs> I think it has a perfect production on it and almost like it's kind of like sound trying to burst forth you know you like you hear something faintly on a two-way radio that's kind of just stuck at this one point and you can make out a couple spot, melodies here and there but sort of like somebody, before you get to the good yeah. reception exactly and there's sort of this the atmospheric and it, it all it everything has to sound like the cover art to me that's kind of a thing that 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 is a sticking point with me and in this respect it actually sounds like oh a beautiful cat this is wicked gorgeous cat. born under my bed oh my lord love him himalayan half himalayan his mother was his mother was purebred nice yeah i had a my my, my cat louis was himalayan um, but yeah, this, it almost sounds like somebody heard the music of angels and they were somehow able to capture it on some kind of ham radio and it just, it's otherworldly, other, otherworldly, weirdly oppressive. The drums are almost entirely, their drums might as well be programmed entirely. There's relatively simple as far as structure goes, but there's just something about the mood of the whole thing that just takes you somewhere. There just are, utterly amazing. There are certain times when an album being recorded improperly, being mastered improperly, makes it better. Uh, the two biggest examples I can name, when I say biggest, I mean biggest bands, of course. Uh, Kiss is Hotter Than Hell, which they didn't, the people they hired to produce it and engineer it didn't know how to produce or engineer an album. So it comes off as very dirty, very murky as you would put it and then of course there's always you know metallica's injustice for all where right. lars just took it and ruined it but it still sounds right even though it's ruined i actually hate that record i hate injustice for all i'll uh, die on this hill okay. <laughs> you enjoy that hill yeah, that's I'm something walk that's away. i will i will die on that hill that's um, as as i've said before that is where i got on the train with metallica i was 14 when it came out that's when i got on the train so that to me is my metallica complete nostalgia it's a nostalgia, I, um, nostalgia thing i left metallica behind um in early high school i well in middle school it's all i listened to literally all i listened to in, in every literally every one of their records including the shitty ones at that point in time um you are talking to and, one of the 17 fans super fans of lulu 
You are yes. the one of the seventeen fans of Lulu. Super fan. I say the I say the phrase "I am the table" regularly. And <laughs> imported from England. Yep. Yes. How much did you pay for that? Not much, like thirty-five bucks. Okay, all right. Because if it was like, you know, like an eighty-dollar import, I would, <laughs> I would um, have. No, at that point, then I wouldn't have, because I was really broke. But anyway, moving on. <laughs> I believe the next one was the. Who we have next? Record. And I don't have a whole right. lot of comic stuff. I chose Fiber by Dead Register. Also be posted. This is close. What is mine? What is mine? Oh yeah, I yeah. love those guys. I, I was very I love, lucky. I love those guys. They're buddies. Uh, Mr. Chavasta was uh, able to hold on to a splatter for me. I didn't. I didn't. Have I, uh, I, um, I'm a huge, that. huge fan of it. I I am eager um, to hear their new one. I haven't heard it yet. Mm -hmm. He and I, um, Chavasta and I talk regularly. I I he, love that guy. I'm he's a, a good dude. huge, huge good fan dude. of. He really is. He's been around forever too. Not that people know that he's he has a history. Like he's he's uh you know he he played in post hardcore bands throughout the '90s. Like he definitely has like definitely he's been around a lot longer than Dead Register would suggest. So yeah, Dead Register. He, I think he was like 37, 38 when that was late 30s when that came out, and that was the first one. He, yeah, uh, yeah. he. I, I knew that there had to be more, but he doesn't really let on that there was more. No, and uh, I have a lot of respect for that guy, and him and Avril both oh, are yeah. just tremendous musicians. I'm a huge fan of theirs because uh, when I heard them, like, because of the. bass heavy a lot of his very like a lot of the melody is held down by the bass when you think of in terms of like uh steven severin from Susie and the banshees how mm -hmm. a lot of the music from those Susie Susie records were anchored by the sort of almost guitar like bass attack and a lot of the weird off-kilter guitar stuff was kind of made possible because so much of the sonic space was being taken up by the bass. And um, Dead Register takes that to another level by having, you know, Chivasta on a Fender bass six or some variation of a bass six. Yeah, he, I saw Avril him playing explaining an actual bass, so it's all I saw him explaining that bass to one of the people he was playing with in the one time, one time I'm aware of that they played here. And listening to him to listening to him explain what that thing was is one of the funniest memories I have because nobody could understand it but him. Well, he um, he you know it kind of goes back to a lot of what the Cure did early on because um, a lot of what you think is a guitar is actually a Fender bass six, <laughs> especially on a kind of that main melody on Pictures of You uh is a bass six and but but it has this sort of tinny almost guitar-like attack like uh um, les claypool does really a baritone in manner of speaking but it but they actually but what a, a bass six is technically is a baritone guitar not necessarily a bass oh, okay and um um 
and so kind of a long scale guitar or a short scale bass, depending on how you want to talk, <laughs> how, you want to, how you look at it. But um, yeah, huge fan of Dead Register. I hope they hope they see this. Um, I chose two records because I'm a sneaky person. Uh, two very important records in my life. This one, Christian Death, Ashes. And specifically this edition, there is another one that has a like a witch and a black cat on it and it's all in black and it looks really hokey and Halloween-y. This has some of my favorite liner notes and lyrics. There's something about this album that captures like mania and almost like early bedlam psychosis from Victorian era uh, kind of atmospherics. No two songs sound alike. Um, it's the last album that Roz Williams would make with the band before he, before they sort of very oddly and acrimoniously sort of went their separate ways. And the band was kind of taken over by the person who ended up being uh, the person who ended up being their kind of main songwriter, even today, Valor Canned, they've never made an album as good as this. <laughs> like, not since. Um, the first three Christian Death records with Roz Williams at the helm are as good as anything I've ever heard in my life. They're amazing. Even Only Theater of Pain, which when they all, that they all made when they were 16 and largely like edgelord goth kids. Um it still sounds menacing and really eerie. Nothing about it is hokey. It just it just sounds kind of dirty, grimy, and debauched. But over the next couple records, they would kind of refine themselves and release this kind of incredibly diverse cinematic sounding album. This one specifically, the CD mastering of this edition is just dreadful beyond words like it's almost inaudible but I was lucky enough to procure this somewhat cheaply um to me yeah. that's what getting rare editions or rare harder to find albums has become because I can we can find any album at any time right now there's no album that's impossible to find it's trying to find it at a price you're willing to pay I mean, I make a point. I don't pay more than thirty or forty bucks for a record. Like, I just don't. Every I, now I and other again, things to spend money on. <laughs> every now and again, I'll bust it out, but not very often. I, um, I have Coverdale Page that I spent money on, Pink Floyd's Adam Hart Mother that I spent significant money on because I got a Japanese red edition from 1975, and that's it. Everything else was mm -hmm. fifty or less. Um, of late, it's been pre-sale for, you know, a, I, I, of some vinyl black metal really label based in Italy or somewhere that where there's just a, an unreasonable shit, <laughs> completely easy shipping charge, but um, yeah, Christian Death Ashes and I'm and I'm in the liner notes in this are just like, you know, it has simple melancholia, right? <laughs> Like, a, like an old case study of simple melancholia. There's like, oh yeah, it's just, just such a self-contained little world. 
here that is sounds so very genuine as opposed to hokey and a lot of a lot of these gothy bands can often be very hokey and I a don't... lot of edgy music when you go back to it later comes off as hokey oh of course and uh but yeah that's the first of the two and the other one it could be argued is probably even more important um and that is fields of the nephilim the nephilim which has Moonchild on it, which is one of their more known songs. And uh, Fields of the Nephilim were an early band for me when I was like 14 or 15, where the twin guitar attack of two, of two guitarists playing chimey, arpeggiated, kind of effects-laden guitar parts was something that sat with me. And it's something I employ to this day where I have my chorus pedal turned on permanently. <laughs> um, there's something about that tone that really is transportive to me. And uh, Fields of the Nephilim, whereas, you know, I was never a big fan of the Sisters of Mercy, for one. I found them to be a bit too hokey sounding, um, mostly on the in the vocal department. But what Fields of the Nephilim did is they, you know, they took that kind of sound, that kind of goth rock sound where it relied heavily on chorus pedal, vaguely almost, you know, almost rock instrumentation, mm -hmm. the mission, Sisters of Mercy, even Christian Death early on, uh, of that things of that nature. But Fields of the Nephilim took that and they had a spaghetti Western image to <laughs> themselves. Nice. Almost like they were mythological figures that emerged out of the out of you know out of uh the sergio leone west <laughs> you know just sort of, or sergio leone's vision of the west you know if you and if you asked me to bet so much on what phrase i wouldn't hear tonight it would probably have been spaghetti western yeah <laughs> well i'm a huge film nerd so you'll probably hear a bunch of go. that but um there was something genuine about how Fields of the Nephilim approached, you know, their their presentation because all of their band photos at the time looked like old daguerreotypes, where it looked like it was from the late 1800s or the mid to late 1800s. And um, every the, the starting with this record, they had a one before that has a lot of great songs on it, but um, it started with this record, the record after this, which is called Elysium. I don't own it on vinyl. That's where they sort of transcended that and kind of went into another plane of existence. And was that's my favorite of their records. But um, the one I have on vinyl happens to be that. And it has a couple of my favorite songs of theirs. They have a live record that was, I believe, produced by Andy Jackson. Um, I, th I believe he did a couple Floyd records, if I'm not mistaken, or, or yeah. he did one of so. some live versions yeah i uh, he, uh love live records live record earth inferno. earth inferno to me in the field of the earth inferno as any of their studio efforts i think it's a perfect live representation it has all of their best songs and it's like a great representation of all of their best material um but yeah two important records in my life um, kind of takes me back to the, the idea of atmosphere and I think why 
certain styles sit with me over others. I like all music, but as a rule, I, there's I pretty much have everything in my collection in some form. Same. Um, not not a lot of country, admitted. Not a lot of country, admittedly, but I I love I love a good hip hop record. But I, have I would my say own I probably I probably have about forty country records, but thirty of them are Johnny Cash and Waylon Jennings. Mm. Yeah, um, I'm like I don't own, and it goes to in the vinyl equation. It's like I don't feel like, for instance, a Tech Death record <laughs> is appropriate to listen to on vinyl. For me, it's not necessarily about what sounds best on vinyl. It's just that is my preferred way of serving up music to myself. Mm -hmm. I have valid. It's you know I've got the, the the room where I've got you know an old timey two channel stereo and that's just what I that's just how I like to listen to it and so yeah I've got Tech Death on vinyl does it sound necessarily better no although it did start sounding better once I got the plexiglass slip mat because it's punchier okay it, it, the, the if you don't have a plexiglass slip mat I totally recommend them. They're about 20 bucks. Mine is hot pink because that was the only color they had left in stock at the time. <laughs> but uh, so the last choice um, you made. I noticed was... I had this weird thing. Oh, go ahead. Newest record. Um, yeah. yeah, I had this weird thing where I, I, had, I had procured kind of a limited edition copy of <clears throat> some record. I think it was the new Rotten Kingdom album, which is amazing. Um, kind of a doom death kind of an old style doom death record. And uh, there was just this, the some something about the pristine quality of the production, relatively pristine quality of the production made me feel kind of weird listening to it on a turntable. And I, there, it was something about it. I was just like, I was just like, why am I not, why is this not resonating with me in the same way where I was at my computer or when I was, uh, you know, going for a run or, <laughs> you know, like, like with, with my, yeah, there, there was a weird thing and I'm not saying it's rational. I'm not saying, but it's, it was, there's it nothing was rational about music. That's what makes it where, No, but there was this weird feeling I had where I felt like it wasn't how it was meant to be heard in my own, in my own, my own life, my own idiom. I, no, I totally get it. And you have to get music in a way that it resonates with you. For me, right. having, having a hideaway where, because like every day when I come home, when I get out of, because when I come home from work, because I'm working in the office again, and we're in, an, we're in a pandemic, I shower when I get home. So before I come back downstairs, I listen to mm -hmm. an album. And that's just that's how it resonates with me that's where right. it's harder you it's harder to listen to it's harder and that's and that's right um, so that's that's what i dig about it yeah. but let's and there's something memorable about that and that's that's terrific yep yep so you asked me to bring out yes. the most recent acquired do you ever have an artist where you find out later that that person has released about 700 albums and you were a fan of theirs without realizing it? Uh -huh. Yeah, one of mine is... Uh, uh, yeah, Glenn that Hughes. happened with me with Prefab Sprout. Uh, 
my other one was Slash. Oh, Good Hughes is great. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's like all of a sudden it's like, oh, I like Black Country Communion, that Black Sabbath record he was on, that Tony Iommi solo record he just put out, this new thing <laughs> he's doing with Jason Bonham. Oh, he was in Deep Purple too. I guess I'll buy that. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Hughes Thrall record he did is great too. Which one? Uh, it's just called Hughes Thrall. It's Glenn Hughes oh, I and heard. I heard none someone of whose last name is Thrall. He's a guitar. Terrific. Check it out. Yeah, he... Um, I'm not the. I'm not a big classic rock guy for the most part. I do like a lot. Like, I mean, I love Sabbath. I like love Thin Lizzy. Um, I love Judas Priest. And namely, like, yeah, I like... There's a good portion of it that I do enjoy, but it's not... It's not, I wouldn't say it, it ever inspired or influenced me. Right. Um, Glenn Hughes is one of those just powerhouse singers who has no business sounding as good as he does now. <laughs> not just that, but he is probably the hardest person to work with and he continued to get work forever. Right, right. He had Which a couple of lost years where he was busy doing heroin, but he... Uh, he but, was, he all, but just like how good his voice sounds in his late 60s is just yeah. stunning to me. I'm a clean singer by, by in practice. And it's just like, I don't think I'll ever sound that good. <laughs> you know, it's like Very few do. He, he was a great bassist. He's a great singer. And he, he's a complete package. He, he can write, he can sing, and he can play. That's why mm-hmm. even though he was such a terrible person to work with, he kept finding work. Well, he also he also wrote in a specific manner, you know. I remember the one song that I couldn't stand on one of those Black Country Communion records just because of everything about it was so on brand uh, was uh, "Smokestack Woman," which Not is a good just song. the worst title. Yeah, yeah, yeah and it's, it's one of those that was that one of the dated first sense black... of boomer rock. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That that Kiss can that the last two Kiss albums are full of and. Yeah, and yeah, and um, yeah, and all the late recent Ace Frehley albums are full of, but yeah, total boomer rock. Anyway, <laughs> well, yeah, um, what I chose uh, was a band I got into relatively recently in the last couple of years. Um, it literally arrived like four hours ago <laughs> at nice. my doorstep. It this one arrived yesterday. The microphone, the microphones, the microphones in twenty twenty is what the name of this record is called. Um, uh, I got into his work. Phil Verum is his mm-hmm. name. Um, I got into his work relatively recently. I had turns out I had owned um, an album he produced back in high school. There's a singer songwriter named Mira, who uh, had one record that I really enjoyed, uh, sort of lo-fi indie rock in that kind of early 2000s sort of scene, and Phil Verum um has these has a bunch of different projects and monikers he goes under um, a lot of it dealing with you know um lo-fi cheaply recorded acoustic based music that is often looped and chopped up to make uh things that are often very meaningful and he uh he did um, this kind of unexpectedly dropped because no one expected him to return to the microphones as a means of expression. Right. And so he had the, he has a project called Mount Erie that's been his main kind of 
thing for a while. He collaborates with a lot of people too. Um, but this kind of randomly came out and it's a single 44 minute song um, that just constant, that kind of is hypnotic and constantly moves and builds on itself and sometimes moves in very unexpected ways. And it seemed like the kind of thing that is the perfect thing to just put on and just bliss out to. And uh, very happy to have procured this. He um, he had an interesting guy too. He, his wife, mother of his daughter, uh, who herself had quite a few really good musical projects in the same vein. Uh, she ended up passing away from cancer a few years back. And he then took, you know, he, he did the, the obligatory grief record. Um, he later, uh, he married Michelle Williams briefly of all people <laughs> and moved from his little, um, his little place in Portland, I think, <laughs> Portland, somewhere in the woods, <laughs> somewhere in the woods in Washington, Seattle, Portland area, Pacific Northwest area. And he up hightailed it over here to Brooklyn for a bit. And uh, that went pear-shaped really quick. <laughs> and so he, <laughs> so they, they, uh, they kind of amicably, supposedly amicably parted ways and he continued doing his uh, woodsman solo folksy loopy stuff. And uh, really meaningful, really heartfelt stuff. The lyrics are almost, um, almost like conversational and mm -hmm. almost like he's reading directly from his diary. Um, which I which I like I like I like the directness of it where he's just kind of describing this is what happened this is what happened and this is what happened not really cloaked in any kind of allegory or metaphor it's just completely out there and just gives here's this is it um, and uh, there's a passage here that I that I really like and all the lyrics are right here on the cover too <laughs> so oh, just, nice. which is really cool. Um, and it has like, holy. one of the lyrics is anyway, every song I've ever sung is about the same thing. Standing on the ground, looking around basically. If there have to be words, they could just be now only and there's no end. It sounds like- To if me, that's the, a very- it, it sounds like if Pepper was an entire album. Pepper, where what are we? What, what are we? By the Butthole about? Surfers. Oh, <laughs> I love that song. Great song. If you don't Gibby love Haynes, that song, Gibby if, Haynes, if you don't love that song, I might hate you. But that's not no, here. The lyrics to that song are true. Gibby love Haynes. That. I used to I used to make coffee for Gibby Haynes. <laughs> he he lives in Red Hook, just down nice. there. Nice. He is like, I saw him playing catch with his kid and someone else's kid in a playground and knowing what I know about him, that was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, I could see that. I could definitely see that. But I yeah, want like, to... I was like, I was like, I... I... Sorry, go on. Oh, no. <laughs> no, that, that... The idea of Gibby Haynes playing catch is probably going to haunt me. It was the... It was like... Because I, I have a number of friends who have been on the same tour as him who have who have had experiences with him um some of them obviously not sober 
<laughs> and and uh, and it's like the what I know, what I, what I what my yeah, no, he he was always very pleasant to me for what it's worth. Um, but, I mean, I don't uh, even know if he does I, drugs I, or I, drinks, but the idea of him I not shocked. being not being drunken and high is weird to me. I was just stunned that he lived in Brooklyn. That's one thing. Like I started, like I was, I was like, he came in and I was looking at him and he left. And I said to the following person, I was like, was that Gibby Haynes? <laughs> and she said, yes. And I was like, so I, I was like, why is he here? Like, why is he here? It makes no sense that he's in, that he lives in Brooklyn. Like it, it makes absolutely no sense. Um, but uh, yeah, know. so he can play catch. I would have expected him to still be in Austin or wherever, but like, but like, you know, he he's largely doing some manner of visual art somewhere in Red Hook. It's <laughs> just where definitely he, see that. I can see that. But I want to probably wrap this up a little bit. We have gone a little longer than intended, <laughs> as is easy. No worries. To do. Um, well, it's the, dis- the discursiveness of my of my character. Well, and, and not just that, but whenever we do these kinds of things, we all do this because we love what we're talking about and we love what we're doing. That's right. And it's easy to forget. <laughs> it's easy to watch the time tick away without realizing that it's ticking away. But I definitely want to thank you for taking some time. Um, it's as we record this, it's a Tuesday night and my daughter needs to go get to the wind down time. But she has ear can- noise canceling headphones, so she can't uh-huh. hear <laughs> um, no it was it was definitely this was definitely fun and if there's anything i i can talk about for hours obviously it's music so. and that's that's the whole thing and it's my personal belief that the best way to get to know an artist and to want to hear their music is to hear what they are into what they have heard and what they have taken away from things because i can get when you when you know the artist that somebody talks about it's easy to kind of piecemeal together what their sound is going to be like. Yeah, and it, and it's also fun for me as well, but just because um, when I read a review, sometimes you know, even if it's positive, sometimes I'll, I'll be greeted with a new perception. You know, where it's like, you know, I the first record got a lot. For instance, the first record got a lot of uh, prog metal tags on it interesting which couldn't be further from what from what i'm into but it was all meant positively right right? when in my opinion rewire rewire sorry the lag is killing me here uh in my opinion but go ahead Oh no, it was just I had to kind of rewire my perception to realize that, okay, um, thank you for those kind words, as opposed to no, I don't sound like Dream Theater. <laughs> it's it's like, fun. And when you like, when you put something out and when somebody else hears it, like there's a band called Wax Fang, and they had an album, a space opera called The Astronaut. To me, and I've always felt like Coheed and Cambria was like heavy metal Pink Floyd which Pink Floyd wasn't very rockin' mm-hmm. and Coheed Cambria is not very metal, but, you know, but this is heavy metal, heavy metal, like Wax Fang, this album was heavy metal, heavy metal Pink Floyd. But they're mm-hmm. not metal at all. They probably would, they would probably would hate that tag. And so it's, it's weird. Very balk at that. 
well, the thing oh, is, like, amazing. if you do your job as a, like, if somebody takes the time to, to, to compliment you on your work, you should say thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but That's it's one thing. when I've always felt that, and for me personally, I'm always more interested in the person behind the notes rather than somebody writing a review over some music as, as to making me want to get to know that artist. And that, and I say that as somebody who's written a thousand different, literally a thousand reviews. So that's why I'm moving more into this kind of thing is to get people to know, because it's, I think, I think a, 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 an interview mm -hmm. about somebody is more enticing than me saying to that, me saying to somebody. No, I love it. I, I absolutely love it. I want to, again, I, I want to actually listen to the first one. Uh, actually listened to the first one you did just to see what I was getting into. And I was nice. like, I really liked that it was essentially what I do, what I do all the time, which nerd, nerdily talk about music. So that's the point. So, that's the so I was a, uh, I was like, there was definitely a, just a conversation and I appreciated that a lot. But uh, what, uh, what is your band camp again? And I'll put a link in the, the, the description as well. Just www.ghostbound.bandcamp.com. <laughs> Thank you very much, and we will talk soon. Thank you, sir. You have a good rest of your night. You too.